Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by guest speaker Steve Crowder. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. Mark chapter 6. So Jesus went away from there, came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. Uh, On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works being done with his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and mother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't these his sisters here? And, and they took offense at him. I, I just underline that in your Bible. Just, just, just note that, if nothing else. They took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And it says he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. We'll come back to this story in a second. Uh, years ago, we, were, uh, we started right out of Bible college. Actually, while we were in, we started kind of going up to Russville and uh, being youth pastors up there. And some of the, uh, our former youth leaders, man, so good to see you guys. So uh, we probably could have kept talking up here, but we had to sit down and get ready for Stephen to say something. But uh, uh, in youth ministry, we were out, we would do these camp outs. And, uh, and so one, one camp out, some of the guys, I don't know, brought a, a chess board. Any chess players here? Anybody like playing chess? How, the rest of us have no clue what, what this, yeah, okay. It looks cool. It's really nice. You get really nice ones and sit on a coffee table. But uh, they brought a chessboard. I was like, man, I, I mean, probably my motivation was I just wanted to beat these kids, you know? I mean, as a good youth pastor, you want to make sure they know, hey, I'm better at this than you. Um, it's kind of like dodgeball still. It carries over. I don't know. This is weird. But, uh, but so I started learning because I thought, yeah, no, I want to learn how to play this game of chess. And so, you know, the chess board, when you start talking about a, a move of God, it, it's interesting how many things correlate uh, to the game uh, of chess. Now, chess, what I started learning, you've got to be uh, very strategic. Like, you've got to kind of know what you're doing in this or you can get wiped out. I'll just tell you right now. But it's a game that requires a lot of patience, now, some of you, that just nullified your desire ever to play this game. But it takes some patience and, you know, strategy. And you're, you're kind of thinking a good chess player thinks like 10 steps ahead, 10 moves ahead. You know, getting ready for anticipating what the opponent's going to do and how you're going to counter that. But more than anything, the game of chess is all about, it, it, it's important where you start, but it's more important what they call the end game. How you finish is more important. And it's interesting, you know, I'm so glad the, the book of Hebrews gives us a, a verse, uh, I believe it's chapter 4, uh, no, chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, unto Jesus, who is not only the author, he don't only get it going, but he is the finisher of our faith. And I started looking at this idea of chess, and in, in, in Christian circles, we kind of wrestle with this, is God the one moving the pieces, and I'm the piece being moved, or, or am I the one moving the pieces, and, and God's helping me? I mean, this is something we wrestle with uh, throughout our Christian life, or following Christ. I want to make the right choice. I want to make the right decision. And so we start looking at all this, and we're like, God, come on, help me make the right move. And I started thinking about 
the idea of how God starts orchestrating and working things in our life. How many of y'all ever heard the story of Esther, Queen Esther? All right, most of us have. There's a whole book in the Bible. It's cool. Go ahead and take time to read it this week if you've never read it. But uh, there's this point in time where she's putting everything on the line. Like her, she is a Jew. She's kind of undercover Jew. No one knows. And her, her whole nation is about to be wiped out. And there's this point in time, her cousin Mordecai is like, hey, maybe, and this is kind of like the famous line. I think it's chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, you hear all the time in churches, maybe, just maybe, you've been put in your position for such a time as this. How many of you heard that? Such a time as this. All right, we're like, yeah, such a time as this. And, and I think that's really the question uh, so many times we wrestle with in our Christian life is, okay, why? Why Why am I in this family? Oh, God, why am I in this? You know, you might be asked that question. Why was I born in this century? Why do we live in Arkansas or wherever you live and commuted to come see us today? Or, oh, God, why do I, why do I work where I work? Why am I going to the school? I go, what's the school at? You know, well, the century, you know, we were talking earlier, Missy, you know, she, uh, oftentimes, I don't know, we'll be out in Colorado, and we're like, man, it's amazing thinking people, like, pioneered out here and drove wagons. She's like, man, God knew exactly what century I was to be born in. I was not born to ride in a bunch of wagons up in the mountain. You know what I'm saying? So she's, she's, she knows it's the right time, right place for her. But we wrestle with this, why am I in this place? Why am I in this season, this position of life? I think we wrestle with that same question Mordecai had for Esther. And, and, and maybe, just maybe, God is orchestrating something for such a time as this is why you're there. For such a time as this, for something he wants to accomplish. And so we start looking at where God is involved in our life. And, and there's moments, there's times, there's things that happen. And you're like, wow, that's just, man, that's more than just a coincidence. You know, like, man, that person being there and that happening the way it happened. And you know, you know what I'm talking about? We, we look at it, we're like, oh, man, God had to be orchestrating something with this. Like, you know, and it's used, this phrase is used a lot in, in like cinema or music or uh, lyrics and stuff. And you, you hear this phrase, date with destiny. You know what I'm talking about? Like, come here, Johnny. We've got a date with destiny. You know, just this, this feeling like this thing we've got to do. We're destined for this. We're, we're heading towards it. Maybe you've used the phrase uh, being in the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah. Just in the right place. I was just right in the place at the right, right time. I'm always in the right place at the right time. You know, I mean, you can kind of get going with that. But in church circles, we like to use the phrase divine appointment. Yes. Come on. Yes. Yeah, anybody had a divine appointment lately? Yeah, I asked Siri the other day when my, my next divine appointment was, and she didn't know. She said, I don't have anything, you know, in regards to divine for the next three months. I'm like, oh, man, come on. You know, what's up with that, Apple? You're messing me up, not, not letting me know when my next divine appointment is. See, the psalmist said in chapter 37 that the Lord directs, he orders, he establishes the steps of the godly. And the reason for divine appointment, sometimes God is trying to get something into your hands to bless you, to do something with you, but, but sometimes he's trying to get you in the position to be the blessing, to be the one who is helping someone else out, to, to be the answer, to be the, some, someone that brings prayer, brings life, forgiveness, joy, whatever it is. Sometimes it's, it's reciprocal. You, you were in that moment, you got to bless him, but in the process, it's kind of like the whole given you shall receive. You, you got blessed as God was doing it. The possibilities of what a divine appointment could be are endless. God knows what you need. God knows what they need. And he's orchestrating, working things to have relationships, like, like Stephen said. 
Man, there's, you can't put a price tag on lifelong friendships, people that you trust, people that you know have their back, that, uh, that you have their back, and back, vice versa. Just divine appointments. You know, I, was, I believe it was divine appointment that Steve and I ended at the same college at the same time, and, and, and just our, our hearts and vision and passions were, were meshed. Uh, you know, I was talking about, um, you know, Missy. Uh, we, were, we were there a semester before him, but I always I look back at that. It was a divine appointment. And that, that orientation of, of that semester that we sat right next to each other. And I'm telling you, my jokes, I think they're funny, but they're horrible. And, and uh, she laughed at one of them. I was like, oh, it is on. Like, this, this girl is a gift from God. I mean, heaven's opening up, angels singing. And, uh, and so we start that journey. Uh, divine appointments. I mean, we can look at our life. All of us have these moments that God was working on something. He was orchestrating something. And I think it's, it's good, especially if you've been in this journey with Jesus very long, that you've learned I can trust him. I can trust the Holy Spirit to work out the things that in my natural brain I can't figure out. I don't know how to start that business. Like, I don't know how to start a church. I don't, I don't know how that relationship is going to happen. But I know God can make this thing work better than I can. And so the idea of trusting God to be led by the Holy Spirit, it's an amazing thought. And so if we start allowing God to lead us, and we start realizing, man, if I move here, then I move there, and I can, I can do that. You hear the voice of God speaking into you direction of what you do, and just, you just, I mean, but what's beautiful about this is that one move, it's not just one move, it's not just one decision, but, but those decisions, it's cumulative. It, 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 it can compound on each other exponentially, and you start realizing, wow, there is a lot to just this one decision and what it can open up that I don't even know can open up. You ever heard the, um, the idea of a butterfly effect, uh, in, refer- in reference to the like, chaos theory, where in a, in a complex system, like one minute thing can, can change, like a butterfly flapping wings, and affects all kinds of other things elsewhere. It's, it's like, um, how many of y'all ever read like a choose-your-own-adventure book? Anybody ever, ever? Okay, well, growing up, I had a transformer choose your own adventure book. I mean, I loved it. I, I mean, the best thing ever. But the problem was you get to page like 38 and, and, and Bumblebee, his back's against the wall and you choose and you know if you make the wrong choice, like Megatron's gonna come in and like rip his head off and he's dead, you know? And, 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 and if you choose right, like Optimus Prime's gonna come in and save his life. I mean, it's, there's a lot hanging on this decision. I mean, really. For a young kid, I mean, we still have counseling for those, these moments, you know, we go back. But you know, you turn to page 85, you're like, oh, man, dang, sorry, Bumblebee. I killed you, bro, you know? And he's dead, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go back and choose the other one and read how that would have turned out. Tell me y'all did that, you know? Yeah, you did it. Oh, yeah. And you followed every little rabbit trail of decisions through that book. You read the whole book, probably, you know, the, the, the book would have taken like half the time if we just kind of followed to, to the end of our choices. But in life, man, how many times have we wanted to go back? If I could just go back to page 38 and make that choice again, but I can't. Why? Because it's life. It's real life. I can go back five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I can go back yesterday and change what I did yesterday. I can't change that moment of decision. It, it compounds each time I make a move. 
This game of chess, it's fascinating. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. After each player makes one move, and Grant, I'm not a professional chess player. This is just stuff I've learned, okay? 400 different positions open up. You're like, okay, well, that's cool. All right, well, what about when you have two moves? Two moves. Now, it doesn't look like it did very much, but 72,048 possible positions are opened up now. If I keep going, three moves, this is a hard you have, but three moves, there are over 9 million potential positions on the board now. Four moves, and I'll stop with this one, over 288 billion, billion possibilities on that board. You're like, dang, my head hurts. Ah, that's why I don't play that game, you know? Uh, and, and that's, well, what about life? That's just a chessboard. What about life? How many choices have we opened up potential to other things by the choices we've already made, the decisions we've made? And praise God, ah, praise God for forgiveness and redemption and restoration. And God just doesn't leave us in all the bad mistakes and bad choices we made. Come on, he meets us where we are and brings about life change. But but I'm kind of like this guy, Bean Gordon. He said, life is a chess game. I don't want to waste a move. I don't want to waste a move. I don't want to miss it. I don't, I don't want to uh, get past that moment and regrets. It's kind of like, you know, how many times in my life I could look and, and all of us could do this. God, where did I miss those moments? I, I, didn't, have, I didn't have the spiritual, you know, radio tuned in to the right frequency. I wasn't listening. I was, I was too busy. I was on a schedule. I, I just didn't have the time and I missed a divine appointment. Didn't have it in the, in the black book. I didn't have it in the schedule. I didn't, Siri wasn't reminding me about it. So I just missed that divine appointment. If I, I just be honest, we were coming down from, from Colorado and we were staying, I think it was Black Hawk, Kansas or somewhere. And um, the next morning we were going out, I was kind of head of the family, going to put some luggage up. And, and there's this guy kind of walking by and kind of gave me the nod like, hey, I want to talk to you, but don't want to impose. And so finally, he finally came up. Ends up talking to him, talking to his wife, introducing families. They were from Estes Park, just right up the road from where we live. And they were headed down to Arkansas to bury her father. And, and I mean, we, you know, it was a very cordial conversation. And at least a couple times I was like, man, I'm so sorry for your loss. Man, I'm, man, I'm sorry, you know, for that. It wasn't but 50, probably 15 minutes down the road. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I don't know if it's my voice, God talking to me. I just, I just heard it like, that's, that's the best you got, Steve. Sorry. And it just flooded through my spirit. We could have prayed over them. We could have loved on them, got their names, followed up. I mean, they're right up the road, about an hour just north of it. I mean, that, that's it, Steve? You're just, you just, you just too busy? You got to go on the road? And it hit me. God, I missed moment. I missed that opportunity that was right in front of me. I titled today, Don't Miss Your Move. Go, go ahead and say it. Just say, don't miss your move. Come on, don't miss your move. That's the thing God has put in my heart for us to look at these moments where we're listening and God is leading us to make the right move. Matthew 19, we'll go, you can go back and read this. Matthew uh, 19, there's a story, there's this moment where this young man, we call him the rich young ruler. 
man, that's a good title to have, you know, rich young ruler, you know. If I could have a title, the problem is what we remember him for is not the good title. It's what he didn't do. He interacts with Jesus, and, and he's coming up. His heart's right. He's like, come on, tell me, what do I need to do to have salvation? I mean, Jesus' heart was for this guy. He's like, well, okay, we're going to talk about doing. Let's look at the Ten Commandments. Let's do the right things. He's like, man, I've, I've, I've done these things since I was a little kid. And, and Jesus like, well, okay, if we can really flip this on this head and talk about what really matters, let's go to the heart. How about you take what you have and sell it and give to the poor and come follow me? The story goes that, that he, he, he walked away sad downcast, depressed. It says because he had great wealth. See, the problem with this situation, Jesus went to the heart, and this guy missed his move, missed his opportunity. It wasn't about the money. The money gripped him. Jesus was about the heart. Come on, let loose of the things that are holding you and follow me. I mean, there's enough principles in the Bible. If this guy has started giving and been generous, man, give and you shall receive. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running. No telling what this guy could have become in the kingdom of God. But, but, but the thing was, he missed his move. Interacting face to face with Jesus. And he missed his move. He missed it. Man, I don't want to miss my move. Now, if I started asking each one in here, maybe we walked around and said, all right, what would be a move of God to you? What would you see? What would you imagine? What would, what would, how would you describe? Man, I'm praying, oh, I'm praying for a move of God, just a move of God, Northwest Arkansas. What does that look like? What is it? Is stadium is full, amphitheater, man, we're worshiping all night. Is it lines out the door of every church service? And I mean, I don't know. What is a move of God? People coming back from, from the dead, uh, miracles, See, if you answered any of those, you'd probably be like, that's true, right? Move of God, right? Isn't that a, a move of God? We're praying for a move of God? Well, what if? Let me just pose this as a question to you. Could a move of God look like my kids loving Jesus and going to church and passionate about reading the Bible? I mean, could a move of God be, be that moment, the coworker you've been spending a little extra time with at lunch break, telling them about Jesus, actually prays and, and gives their heart to Christ? Could that be a move of God? Maybe that moment a couple for years have been trying to have a baby and finally they get pregnant. Could a move of God be praying in a parking lot of a hotel with someone who just lost their dad? Couldn't that possibly be a move of God? And what's been hitting me lately, and this is why I'm passionate to bring this message to you today, is, is maybe a move of God actually looks a lot like what we do every day. What if, let me pose this question, what if we spend a little less time praying for a move of God and more time praying, God, help me be your move in the earth? Help me be a tangible, in the flesh move of God. With the people I come in contact at work, at school, at, at my home, across the, the counter, the waitress that comes in. I mean, all the different things we interact with every day. What if one moment captured and utilized for the glory of God is a move of God in Northwest Arkansas, in the house, in your family, at your job, in, in your work? What if? So what if? What if the move of God is actually hinging on us, on me, on you. 
And God's just waiting to impact the world around us. Our sphere of influence could grow. He could put more responsibility, more, more places for you to bring life and truth around. But, but he's waiting for us to be responsive to the opportunities ahead of us. Three things. Well, I, want to, I want to leave with this. First is know your opportunity. If, we, if we're going to do this, if we're going to get it right, because I think we want to do it right. I hate that feeling of regret. Golly, man, you're a pastor and you didn't even think, pray for him. I mean, that's kind of like elementary, Watson. I mean, come on, like pray for him. Oh, no, you're in a hurry. You've got to get on the road. Know the opportunity. You know what terrifies me about the story we started with? When Jesus is in his hometown, that I could be right there in the middle of a move of God and completely unaware. I mean, it happened right there. I mean, uh, I, I could be offended. That he marveled. He, he was like, I can't do anything. Jesus could not do anything. They were offended. Man, God, I got to get offense out of my life. I cannot, I cannot stay mad and, and bitter and resented. I got to get offense out. Unbelief, man, they couldn't believe he could do anything. So he couldn't. Man, what do I believe? What, do I, what am I not believing God can do right now? And that's stopping God from doing. And he marveled at him. I, I just, it's amazing. The Jewish leaders right there in the tabernacle, the temple, he's wanting to heal, he's wanting to do. But hey, it just doesn't fit our traditions here. Nope. That just doesn't fit my box of how I see God and what he could accomplish. Missing the move right in front. Eleven disciples miss their move. Man, Peter jumped out. Maybe it was foolish, but he jumped out. He's like, hey, Jesus, that's you. Tell me, come on, I'm coming. Out of the water, woo! And the rest of them, 11, are like, hey, I don't know. Let's see what happens to Peter first, you know? Let's just let him test this out. See, he's going down. I told you, John, that was dumb. You know, but I mean, Jesus right there with them, 11, man, it's just too comfortable in this boat. I, I don't want to risk that. Two guys, after Jesus is crucified, they're walking on this road to a city called Emmaus. I mean, they're, they're downcast. They're frustrated. They're, they're, they're just in despair. And Jesus walks up and he's like, hey, what's, what's wrong with you guys? And I, man, have you not been in Jerusalem? Have you not heard Jesus was crucified? We thought he was the Messiah. And they walk with Jesus for hours telling him about Jesus and how sad they are that he's not, I mean, uh, amazing. You can, we can be right in the middle of it and miss it. We got to know our opportunity, guys. We got to be aware in the process. Come on, say it. Say, don't miss my move. Second, know your limitations. I, I think it, I mean, you could almost go without saying, but let me use the example for me. What was my limitation? Now, I'm a scheduled order person, and that comes in very handy in, in administrative positions. But I just scheduled Jesus right out of the story there. My limitation was my schedule. My, my, I've got to stay on track. I've got to do this. Forget people. I've got to get this done. What is your weakness? What is the thing in your life? You know your limitations. Acknowledge them for the reason to overcome them. Let me say that. But are we aware, self-aware of our own limitations? It's like, you ever, you ever driven a moving truck, a U-Haul, Penske or something, and it's got a governor? Some of you don't know what that is. Like, not like an elected person in your car with you. It's like, it's like you can't push the accelerator past a certain speed. I mean, you could... I mean, for hours, have that thing floored, and you're like, at 60 or 70, you know what I mean? Like, you can't get past it. And it's frustrating when you got to go and get there. 
because you're a scheduled person, of course. But, uh, but the idea of a governor, it limits you. Know your limitation and realize why you're getting capped off in your relationship with God. Why are you not getting the answers that you're believing for? What? Know your limitations, your weakness, because ultimately Jesus told his disciples, hey, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, man, that thing is weak. I mean, you're tired, you're frustrated. I mean, part of the, the problems you're having at home is because, I mean, you're not acknowledging your limitation. You can't get everything done. You can't isolate yourself and, and, and think you're going to be successful in the kingdom of God. you got to surround yourself with people. It's the beauty of it. Yeah. Community, house, self-aware. So what Paul said, and I love the message translation in this passage where he writes to Christians in, in, in the city of Galatia, Galatians 5.24, he says, among those who belong to Christ, come on, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities, that's killed off for good. What is it called? It is crucified. We crucify our selfish nature. That's the thing called the flesh. If we crucify that, then we realize we're stepping past our limitations of the flesh to actually be responsive to the things the Holy Spirit's leading us to be responsive to. But if we're not willing to deny the flesh, our own desires, our own will, our own, I mean, it's kind of like this. If we choose to crucify our feelings, our emotions, the attitudes that limit us, we, we in, in doing so open up our lives to be a move of God. So we got to put a fear to death. We got to put our doubts to death. We got we got to put addictions and habits to death. But hey, we got to put some comforts to death, or we won't get out of the boat. We won't get further in the walk that God has called us to get to. So we want to go faster. Let's get the limitation. Let's get the governor out of the U-Haul truck, and we go faster. If we want to paint a bigger picture, an artist is limited, the limitations based off the size of the canvas. Oh, man, it's just such a small place to work with. And you want to express this creative flow. We'll, we'll go get a bigger canvas. Open up, realize you're limited. Let's get more exposure. Let's get in positions to do more, greater influence. Know your opportunity. Know your limitations. Overcome them. And third, I think this is the most important, know your opponent. Know your opponent. I mean, a good chess game, man. They're studying each other, their moves. I mean, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? They're, they're figuring out all the different possibilities, how they're going to lead, what they're going to do. Know your opponent. If we want to get it right, we've got to know our opponent. And I'm going to tell you right now, whether you wonder or not, or you've been wrestling with this, God is not your opponent. He's not. And you will never, we will never experience the move of God if we think he is. I mean, the psalmist got it right. God is on our side. God is our defense. He is for me. God's not your opponent. I'm going to listen to this, though. Other humans are not your opponent either. I mean, your spouse, I'm sorry, they're not. You say, well, you didn't know my ex. Well, I'm okay. Still, no no human. It's not your boss, not your coach, not your coworker. That's not your problem. That's not your opponent. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against every principality and power. The things we wrestle with are spiritual. They're not physical. It's not people. 
And that's got to include yourself. You might feel like you are your greatest opponent, but you're not. Stop putting yourself in that position. You're not fighting yourself. Start changing the way you talk about yourself. You're not your greatest problem. I mean, you might need to change some things, yes. Praise God, you got help. Our greatest opponent, who is on the other side of this? And this is why God is on our side. Because his word clearly tells us who you're up against. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is the condemner. He is trying to tell you all the things you should be shamed in that you've done. Father of lies. And Jesus took a little time and, and one of his friends that, that journeyed with them recorded this moment and Jesus said, let me give you another name for your opponent. He's called the thief. And John's writing this and John says, you know what? The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have life abundant to the full. God's on my side. And praise God, I'm, I'm, I know who my opponent is, and if I submit myself to God, I resist the devil, and it says he has to flee, that Jesus manifests in this earth for this purpose, so that he would destroy the yoke of the devil, the works of the devil, the things that he has held us captive with. That's what Jesus came to do. Today, we're looking, God, we want to have a move of God in our life. We want, to, we want to feel, we want to experience a tangible move of God. And I'm here to tell you, it's right there. It is so close. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within. And all God's brought me to do is say, hey, are you willing to be the move of God in the earth now? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.